It's another great song by Hillsong Worship, Come Alive, Come Alive, Dry Bones. It reminds me of Ezekiel's prophecy in chapter 36 when God calls the nation of Israel out from being dead in exile back to being alive and restoring them to the land of Israel, which, as we know, miraculously happened uh, and became a nation in 1948. It also reminds me of a verse from 1 Timothy chapter 3 where Paul is quoting this Christian hymn that I'm sure was sung by many of the people in church in that first generation of Christ followers, and it says, Awake, O sleeper, awake from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Wow, what a, what a great reminder that we have new life in Christ. Today, we're going to talk about women and Jesus in his ministry. Women and Jesus in his ministry. And I have a question for you as we begin. In your lifetime, how have you seen the role of women and leadership and participation change in your local church? I remember the first time when women were allowed to serve communion. It was shocking to a lot of people. I remember when women were allowed to give a communion meditation, and that was considered outrageous. I remember when our church invited the first woman speaker. I, it, she was Christine Kane, so they chose a good one. And it was on Mother's Day, and she was talking about Mary, and I, I never forget her message, but how electrifying she was in that church service as a woman was allowed to come and speak from the pulpit of a church. Women have come a long way. Yeah, that Virginia Slims commercial is true. You've come a long way, baby. And there's still some more to come for women in church leadership. But it wasn't always that way in the first century. Women have had a very minimal role in the Jewish religion, and they did not have leadership roles at all. And we're going to see how Jesus elevated the role of women as he did his ministry in his day. So if you have your Bibles. We're going to be in Luke's Gospel today, chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Three short verses. You're probably going to think this is a devotional, but no, there's an actual message that goes with the whole thing. So it says in Luke's Gospel that Jesus was known as a miraculous healer. He, and in fact, that's what drew a lot of people to Jesus originally. You know, they didn't know so much what he said or what he taught but they certainly were attracted to him because he had the power of God to affect miracles in other people's lives. Look what it says in Luke 5. Yet the news about him spread all the more so, the, so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. If you go back to Luke 8, you're going to see that the, the three women that we're going to talk about this morning in Jesus' ministry, among many other women that were involved in his three years of ministry before he went to the cross, uh, these women were also healed. Um, it says in Luke chapter 8 and verse 1, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him right? So last week we finished up where Jesus was invited to Simon the Pharisee's house. A woman who had lived a sinful life came and anointed him with perfume and with her tears, wiping his, her feet, his feet with her hair. And Jesus talked to Simon about the kingdom of God. And he said, uh, 
if there were two people that owed money to a certain money lender, one owed him a certain amount of money and the other person owed him a lot of money, if the money lender forgave both debts, which one do you think would love him more? And the man said, I suppose the one whom he, gave, he forgave the greater debt. And Jesus said, you're exactly right. So Jesus uh, forgave this woman. He healed her. And she was part of the movement of the kingdom of God in Jesus' day. So now Jesus is continuing, and he's going from town and town and village to village. And it says the 12 were with him. Now, the 12 is interesting because we know who the 12 are. I mean, the 12 are Peter and James and John and Andrew and Matthew and Mar Bartholomew and Thaddeus. All those 12, they're, they're pretty famous for being the apostles. But Luke goes on to add that not only were the 12 men there with Jesus and his ministry, there were also women. Because it says, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Can you imagine being possessed, being controlled, being tormented by seven demons in your life, and you meet Jesus, and he heals you of that? That was Mary. Then there was Joanna, the wife of Chusa, who was the manager of Herod's household. There was another evidence that the gospel message, that Jesus' ministry was reaching not just the lowest, the shepherds and the lower levels of society, but his message was also going to the highest levels of society, all the way to King Herod and his household. Joanna became a follower of Christ, and then Susanna was also mentioned, and many others, it says. So they weren't the only women. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, what do we know about these women? These three women, and the way, the way my mind works is I try to come up with a memory, uh, a helper, these three women. I say, Mary, Joanna, Susanna. What is that? MJS. MJS. Michael Jordan, superstar. So I say, Michael Jordan, superstar, MJS. That's how you're going to remember. M, Mary, J, Joanna, S, Susanna. Those were the three names. So now when somebody gives you a Bible trivia quiz and says, who are the three women? You'll know. Michael Jordan, superstar. Mary, Joanna, Susanna. There. So there's your, there's your memory help for the day. Um, what we know about Mary, she was called Magdalene because that means she was from the town of Magdala, which was near the larger Roman city of Tiberias. Now, this was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, she was rescued from demonic possession and oppression. Now, I want to ask you guys another question. Have any of you watched yet this great new series that has come out uh, on the internet and on television? Yet you can actually buy the DVD. Our church bought a copy of the DVD. So thank you very much, Peggy Montini. She got to see it already. Uh, it, was Joe, it was called The Chosen. And in the very first episode of The Chosen, there was the story, and we don't know who it is at first, but there's a story of a little girl. And the, the scene opens there. This Jewish family is on pilgrimage, probably to one of the festivals in Jerusalem. They're staying in tents. There's a little girl named Mary and her father, and it was at night, and the father's out there looking at the stars. And Mary comes out of the tent, and she's crying, and he says, what's the matter, my child? And she says, I got scared, Daddy. Why did you get scared? Well, I had a nightmare. And, he, and then he said these words to her, what 
can you do when you are scared and have a nightmare? You need to remember Adonai, the Lord. You need to remember what the Lord says about you. And her father taught Mary to say these words, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Wow, some tremendous words of comfort from Isaiah's prophecy, chapter 43. So Mary had that in her memory from her time with her father, and this is all dramatized. Then later on, you fast forward into Jesus as he's just beginning his ministry, and Mary, she's lost her name. She's now called Lilith. She's in the town of Capernaum. She is demon-possessed, and she is out of control, and she scares everybody. And Jesus comes to her, and he says these words to her. He says, Mary of Magdala. And she turns around and she says, how do you know my name? And he says, thus says the Lord who created you. Thus says he who formed you. He says, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, Mary, and you are mine. And in that moment, in that instant, Mary was healed from her demon possession. She was freed from her demonic torment. And she was liberated to become a follower of Christ. And that is what Mary Magdalene did. Mary's pretty famous. If you want to ask how famous is Mary, when you go to the accounts of the resurrection on that first Sunday morning, who is the first person who is the eyewitness to see Jesus alive after he rose from the dead? And the answer is Mary Magdalene. So that's Mary. There's Joanna. She is the wife of a manager of Herod's household. We don't know hardly any more about her except that Joanna was also there. In fact, it says in Luke 24 and verse 10 that the women who had come to the place of the tomb to actually bring spices to anoint the dead body of Jesus, they found that there was an angel there said, why are you looking for the dead among the living? He's not here. He is risen. And so they went and they saw the empty tomb. Joanna was one of the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection. The women came back into Jerusalem to where the disciples were in the upper room, and they told them the story. And, of course, we're going to see how <laughs> the disciples reacted to it. They didn't believe originally the testimony of the women. So um, this is uh, where we are now. So these women, these three women are following Jesus and his ministry. Now, how controversial was that in the first century in Israel? Because during the intertestamental period, did you guys like that? Intertestamental, is that not a great word? That means the time between the Old Testament scriptures, which finish with Malachi 400 years before Christ, and the time of the New Testament scriptures, which begin with the first gospel, Matthew. So there's about a 400-year gap between the time that Malachi gave his last prophecy inspired by God and the coming of John the Baptist, who was the last, and Jesus said, one of the greatest prophets. So during that time period, there was a famous Jewish rabbi who came on the scene. And unfortunately, he had the same name as Jesus. His first name was Yeshua. Yeshua ben Sirach. And according to Ken, Kenneth Bailey, who wrote this wonderful book called uh, the New Testament or the Bible through Middle Eastern eyes, Jesus through Middle Eastern eyes. This man, this Jewish teacher, Yeshua ben Sirach, he started teaching about women and the valley and the value that women had. Um, actually, ben Sirach, he wrote a book called Ecclesiasticus, 
And that became a book in the Jewish Apocrypha. So Ben Sirach was pretty famous. He said women were responsible for bringing sin into the world. Hello, if you go to Genesis 3, there was a man standing right next to Eve when she was being tempted, and his name was Adam. But, of course, Ben Sirach bypasses that. It kind of reminds me of the woman caught in adultery where she's dragged out being caught in the act of adultery. If you're caught in the act of adultery, is there not a man involved? So where's the man, right? So the, these Jewish teachers or this Ben Sirach conveniently forgot that fact. So he says women were responsible for bringing sin into the world. He makes no mention apart from their relationship to men. Ben Sirach said, daughters were a total loss, a constant potential source of shame. He said, don't sit down with the women, for as, moth, as moths come out of clothes, so does spite come out of women. Wow. How would you like to be married to that guy if you were a woman? How would you like to have that guy for your father? That was a popular Jewish rabbi in his day, his writings became somewhat authoritative. So Jesus comes on the scene, and this became the view of women in Jewish society. So he had a lot of influence in the first century. Women's status in Jesus' day, very interesting. It says, first of all, women could, um, they could attend the synagogue, but they had to attend separated from the men. The women could not receive religious training by a rabbi. Women could not give testimony in court. Women were not allowed. Uh, women could not divorce from their husbands, no matter what their husbands did, but the husbands could divorce their wives for almost any reason at all. And their purity, uh, the whole point of a, a woman and her existence in society was to maintain her purity. And if that's what honored her family was the woman's purity, and if she uh, lost her purity, that would be bringing great shame to the family. So that was the status of women in Jesus' day, and it was really kind of sad. So one of the next questions is, okay, so now Jesus comes on the scene. We, we know what he did with Mary. She was healed from seven demons, uh, became one of his followers in his entourage of disciples. Joanna did also. Susanna did as well. Um, what did Jesus do to reinforce common Jewish attitudes toward women in his day? Or did Jesus change those attitudes? Did Jesus, by his own actions and his words, did he reform those attitudes toward women in his day? Jesus' ministry was a radical departure from the status quo in first century Israel. Jesus lifted up women from their inferiority, from their degradation, from their servitude. He allowed women to sit at his feet and learn from him. You remember the story of Mary and Martha, right? So they're in Bethany. Uh, the disciples are all there. They're preparing a meal for them. Jesus is doing some teaching. Martha's over in the kitchen. And of course, the, the story traditionally is Martha looks around and says, there's nobody helping me peel the potatoes. Mary, where are you? Oh, great. You're sitting over there at Jesus' feet. Jesus, would you please tell Mary to get up from where she is and go over here and help me and fulfill her proper role as a woman? 
And Jesus said to her, there, Martha, you're, married, you're worried about a lot of things. The meal can wait. That's not the important thing right now. Mary is sitting at his feet. Now, that term, sitting at his feet, we see that in another place in the New Testament. Paul, when he was giving his credentials of where he was in Jewish society and what a, what a rabbi learned person he was, a strict Pharisee, he, sat, he said that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, which was one of the most famous, well-known, respected rabbis in first century Israel. And Paul said he sat at his feet, meaning that Paul was an official disciple, follower of the rabbi Gamaliel. And now Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. So the implication is she had become one of his official disciples. Jesus was breaking tradition when he did that, allowing women to be his disciples and sit at his feet. There's another story in Matthew chapter 12 where Jesus is in a group of people and he's teaching and there were obviously men and women in the group and I say it because of this. Somebody came to him and said, Rabbi or Jesus, your mother and brothers are here. They're outside and they want to speak to you. And you remember how Jesus responded to that? He looked around to the crowd that he was teaching and he said, Who are my mother and brothers? And he said, Here, here are my mother and brothers and sisters. Anyone who does the will of God is my mother and brother and sisters. Now, the obviously implication is Jesus could not have said mother or sisters unless there were women in the crowd listening to him and following his teaching. So Jesus definitely allowed women to be his disciples. So uh, here's the other thing. Now, Jesus, it says that he was traveling around from town to town. He was doing ministry in various places. My study in, in the Galilee in the first century said even in that province of Galilee, there were about 250 different villages and towns. And so Jesus was traveling around all over the place. They were traveling during the day and teaching. They were spending night and after night in different villages. And in customary Jewish society, this would not have been possible for women to have been part of their group. Even in modern-day Middle Eastern customs, women could travel with a group, but at night they had to stay with their own relatives. And so there was breaking tradition on that. Uh, and it said that as the group was traveling around, they were doing their itinerant ministry. Obviously, wherever they went, they had to buy food unless they were, received hospitality from people in the town. So they had to buy food, and they had to travel, and they had to provide for their means. And it said that they, that possibility of traveling and, and having the food, that would not have been possible for a group of 20 or more unless somebody was funding it, unless their ministry was being paid for. And it says right there in Luke chapter 8 and verse 3 that these women, among other women, Mary and Joanna and Susanna, they were supporting Jesus' ministry financially. They had financial means. They counted it as a privilege to support Jesus' ministry. Remember, Jesus had healed each one of them from either demon possession or some kind of disease or illness, and they felt they owed a great debt to him. This was one of the ways they could partner with him in the ministry. I mean, isn't that a beautiful thing? that Jesus counted these women as his disciples, you know, that was controversial in his day. But Jesus didn't care because he said, we're going to change the view of women 
in society. That when the kingdom of God comes, the status and the role of women is going to be elevated. And Jesus was modeling that in his own ministry. Jesus said this, whoever, and this is in Matthew chapter 10, at the end of Jesus' ministry, he was encouraging his followers. He says, look, I know that not all of you speak, not all of you evangelize, not all of you uh, teach or lead Bible studies or lead life groups or things like that, or you don't lead worship on Sunday morning, but what can you do to support the ministry? And he talked about that, and he said in Matthew chapter 10, he said, anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. Anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Can you imagine that? You provide hospitality to a prophet in your day, and you will receive a prophet's reward. That's what Jesus is promising. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's award, reward. And if anyone gives, and this is, this is so great, like the smallest gift, gesture of kindness, God notices because he says if someone even gives a cup of cold water to even one of these little ones who's my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Right? So you have Mary, Joanna, Susanna. There's another woman in, mentioned, Mary, the mother of James. They gave much more than a cup of cold water to support Jesus' ministry. They gave of their finances. And Jesus promised them that they would not lose their reward. Of course, as I mentioned earlier, one of the biggest evidences for the elevation of women in Jesus' ministry is the account of his death and his burial and his resurrection. Because if you don't know the gospel story, in the Garden of Gethsemane that night, when Judas came to betray Jesus with a kiss, when Jesus was finally arrested, it said about the 12, it said all of the disciples deserted him and fled. They got out of Dodge. They didn't want to be arrested along with Jesus. They escaped to hopefully live another day, and of course they did. But so what that, what that implicates is where were they when Jesus was on trial? Where were they during the time of Jesus' crucifixion? Who was with Jesus to, to be with him, to support him as he was suffering and taking on the sins of the world when he was dying on the cross. Who was with Jesus? The answer is it were the women, the women in, these, in this ministry. It was Mary, the mother of Jesus. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, Mary, the mother of James. There's another woman listed named Salome. They were all there with Jesus as he died. And that's why they knew that he died. They knew where he was buried because on that first Sunday on resurrection morning, the women had gone out the night before when the Sabbath ended on Saturday night. They bought anointing burial spices. And very early on Sunday morning, they were on the way to the tomb. They were not even expecting a resurrection at all. No one was expecting a resurrection. In fact, the women were there to anoint Jesus' body. And they even asked the question as they came near the tomb. They said, who will roll the stone away for us in order to get into the tomb and anoint Jesus' body? And that's when they met the angel. So it was these women who had seen Jesus alive from the dead. Now, it's very interesting 
when you think about that, you, you might even ask the question, Jim, why are you even saying this? Why, why do you think it matters so much that first century Jewish writers would write that the first witnesses to Jesus being alive after dying on the cross and being buried, why would you think it's such a big deal that these first witnesses were women? Well, because women were not even allowed to testify in court in the first century. Their testimony was considered suspect. So then you ask the question, well, then why would the gospel writers take such a risk? Why would they even say it this way? Why, why didn't they just write it, well, Jesus appeared and the 12 uh, saw him or the 11 because Judas had already died and they believed the message and they went out and ch like champions and went forth and spread the gospel all around to the whole Roman world. Well, that's not the way the gospel story reads. The gospel story reads that these women were the eyewitnesses of Jesus and his resurrection. They travel back to the upper room. They excitedly, with fear and trembling, say, we've seen Christ alive from the dead. Mary Magdalene was one of the first. And, it, and how did the disciples react? It says, the, the writer uh, Mark of the second gospel, he, he was a close companion of Peter. So it's interesting Mark, of all people, knowing Peter, Peter was the one that says, Mark, if you really want to know the truth, we 11, we were clueless. We, we didn't expect the resurrection at all. We didn't uh, go to the tomb early on Sunday morning. We were hiding from the Romans. It was the women who told us. And when the women told us that Jesus was alive again, we didn't even believe him. It says in Mark's gospel, it says, later Jesus appeared to the 11 as they were eating. He rebuked them. This is Mark 16 and verse 14. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and for their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Now, what does that say about Jesus and his trust of women? Tells me that Jesus trusted these women to be the first witnesses of his resurrection, of his victory over sin and death. These women had had their lives radically changed and healed by Jesus. They learned at his feet. They saw his miracles. They remembered his teachings. And they were there on that day of Pentecost, 50 days later, when Jesus sent his Holy Spirit. And everyone spoke in, in a different language that they never learned before. This miraculous uh, speaking in tongues happened. And all the Jews who were there from all around the Roman Empire said, they're speaking the praises of God in our own native languages. That was the miracle of the day of Pentecost. I don't think Mary Magdalene, just focusing on her for a moment, Mary of Magdala, that she ever forgot what Jesus did for her. He rescued her from demonic torment. He freed her soul and radically changed her life. She had a tormented, terrible life before Jesus met her, but she had an amazing, world-changing life since meeting Jesus. And that just reminds me of what the Apostle Paul says. Do you remember what he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Jesus says when he comes again, he says, behold, I'm making all things new. Do you know what Jesus begins to make new before he's going to turn this world, this fallen, divided, broken world, 
and bring it back unto the lordship of Christ in the kingdom of God when Jesus returns? Do you know where Jesus is doing his change right now? He's doing his change in each human heart. Mary's heart was radically changed because Jesus healed her and she became his follower. Have you ever taken that step to bow your knee to Jesus and to become his follower? To say to him, Lord Jesus, I, I recognize that I've messed up my life. I'm a sinner. I've, I, I don't feel close to God at all. I know that without you, I have no hope of forgiveness in heaven. Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I commit my life to follow you. Have you ever taken that step? Because that step is the most important step that you can ever take. That step is where you become a new creation. You become what Jesus says, you are born from above. And Jesus says, if you, if you accept him and receive him and commit your life to follow him, you will receive the Holy Spirit and he will begin to renew you from the inside out. Behold, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. You can be one of God's trophies. You can be one of God's new creations if you embrace Jesus today. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, uh, as we review this story of these three women, Mary of Magdala, and Joanna and Susanna. Lord, they are wonderful examples of women whose lives you have radically changed. And not just changed their lives to save them from their sins and to give them eternal life. Lord, you involved them. You invited them to be part of your kingdom ministry. So thank you for changing and elevating women from your model and your example in this world. Lord, I, I thank you that they were privileged to be the first ones to see you risen from the dead and to give their testimony to the rest of the world. Lord, help us to remember our life, kind of like Mary of Magdala. Help us to remember what our life was like before we came to know you personally. Lord, help us to remember how empty and lost that life was without you, how uncertain we are, how afraid we were of dying and wondering if we'd be forgiven or not forgiven by a holy God. Lord, thank you for your grace and your patience with us. Help us to take a big spiritual step forward today. Help us to commit our lives anew, to follow you, to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, to join you in your kingdom, mission work in this world by loving our neighbor as ourselves by demonstrating your love and being your hands and feet into this world that needs to know that there is a God who made them, there is a God who loves them, and there is a Savior who gave his life for them to make them a new creation. Thank you for doing that for us. Help us to be the agents of your change that you want to do in this world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed and said, amen. Amen. God bless you.